Good morning. It is a blessing to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you this morning. I feel blessed having done it in the first service, and I am excited. I'm excited to share this good news with you. The title of our sermon this morning is Praying with Prayer. Praying with Prayer. It's uh, based on James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Just an FYI, this is our last sermon in this series on James. If you have your Bibles, uh, could you please turn to this scripture? And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have ushers at the back. They'll get one to you. So now I would like to invite you to please stand if you're able as we read God's word. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turned a sinner from the, from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Father, bless the reading of your word. Bless the hearing of your word. Your word is quick and powerful. We pray that this will be our reality this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I have learned to like, maybe I would even say love the book of James. I have to admit, I used to just zoom right through it. But... <laughs> Over the last several weeks, I've learned to love this book. And James has spoken to us about a number of things. And as he's coming to the end of his letter, he wants to talk to us about yet one more thing. Prayer. James wants to talk to us about prayer. And he wants to talk to us about this general truth about prayer which he's going to illustrate, he's going to use Elijah as an example to tell us about prayer in general, and then he'll talk to us about how we respond to certain situations using prayer. So we're going to break up the sermon into two parts. We'll begin with the general truth about prayer that James presents us with. Here's what he says. The prayer of faith offered by a righteous person is powerful and effective under every circumstance 
because it is, it is made mighty through the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to repeat that. The prayer of faith offered by a righteous person is powerful and effective under every circumstance because it is made mighty through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can say amen and go home right now. Amen. Powerful and effective when we are in the place of suffering. And it costs us to pray. Powerful and effective when we confess to another person and they pray over us. Powerful and effective when we lift up a psalm of praise. Yes, it is powerful and effective even to raise a sick person from their beds. And to get us to agree with him, because this is hard stuff here. James says, look at Elijah. Just look at the guy. Look at what he did with prayer. Except we can't relate to Elijah. When was the last time you raised someone from the dead? Never? It sort of reminds me of this time when I was in a race with my two older daughters, Eva and Amani. Eva was about seven, Amani was about five and a half. And so we're going along, and Eva is very competitive, and it was killing her that we were slow. She's like, come on, Daddy, come on. Look, that guy just passed us, and the guy looked like he was 10. And I was like, okay. So I pick up the pace, I'm pretty much dragging Amani now. And she's like, come on, Daddy, look, even the car just passed us. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say to her, I'm cool if that 4x4 F-150 goes faster than we can. I am fine with that. And we want to say to James, we're cool if Elijah can do these incredible things with prayer. He was cut from a different cloth. James says, no, he was a man just like everyone sitting here, like you and like me. And we can all become more effective in prayer. How do we do it? James tells us three things that we need in order to become effective in prayer. He speaks to us about righteousness, the prayer of a righteous person, he says. The prayer of a righteous person. Now, this is the point where most of us would have been disqualified for prayer, from praying, and ever hoping to be effective in prayer. In fact, for those reading his letter, you know, maybe those who were Jews before and now they're Christians, they would have been struggling with the idea that Jesus is now their temple. He's now their sacrifice. He is now their high priest. And for the Gentiles who became Christians, they would have been struggling because they were still dealing with things like, should you get circumcised? Should you, you know, keep these days or eat this or eat that? And James is saying to all of them, as he's saying to all of us, we begin all of our praying in the place 
where the Son of God declared, it is finished. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that we may become the righteousness of God. We begin all of our praying in the place where the Son of God decreed, it is finished. Because of him, we can become that righteous man. But we need a couple other things. James says we need perseverance. I don't like this one. I really don't. He's talked a lot about perseverance, hasn't he? From chapter 1 all the way through to the end. And he points us to Elijah. He says, Elijah prayed. The word he uses, the Greek is, he prayed with prayer. That's the intensity with which he prayed. He prayed with prayer that it would rain. And then he prayed with prayer that it would not rain. And we see it from the story. He prays seven times that the clouds would come. But if God already knows, why should we pray? If he already wants to do it, why do we have to pray for it? Prayer is one of the primary means by which God turns what he wants to do into what he is now doing and who he wants us to become into who we are now becoming. Prayer matters. It actually makes a difference. If you want a beautiful picture and a clear picture and, and a really explosive picture of prayer, read Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Prayer matters. It matters in the outcome of the events of our lives. It matters how our children turn out, how our relationships are. It matters in our church, in our community. Prayer actually shapes the history of the world. We're not just speaking into the air. Prayer is powerful. Amen. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, when we're praying sometimes, it's easy for us to think, well, you know what? God has already decided. What am I doing, really? What am I doing? He says, but this is no reason why we should cease our prayers. The event certainly has been decided. In a sense, it was decided before the world. But one of the things that God took into account, one of the things that really make this event happen, that cause it to happen, may be this very prayer that we are now offering. Prayer matters. That is why we persevere when we pray. And then, James says, we need faith. The prayer of faith. We need faith in order to become effective in prayer. What exactly is that? How does one pray in faith? 
It's a tough one. Because a lot of things people do in faith are pretty weird. Don't know if you've noticed or heard of any. And this is where the story of Elijah is particularly helpful to us because it illustrates very practically what it means to pray in faith. So here's what happened or what James said and what happened. Elijah prayed that it would not rain and that the land would not yield this produce. It's a weird prayer. He could have picked anything else to pray about. Why pick this particular request? Why insist that God should do this one thing? For us to answer this question, we need to look at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verses 16 to 17. The words will be on the screen. This is what Moses says to the people. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. This is what the Israelites had done. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and that the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Elijah was asking God to do what he had already said he would do. That is why he had the confidence And to pray in faith is for us to pray according to God's will as He has revealed it to us in Scripture or as He's revealing it to us as we're walking with Him. And there's really only two ways this can go if we just take a step back. Either God gets with our program and He starts doing what I want Him to do, which would be nice, (laughs) or... We get with his program. That's the only way we get effective. And someone might say, well, I'm just a man. How am I supposed to know what God wants? How am I supposed to know what he wants in this situation right now? How am I supposed to know his will? The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts, that no one can search out his wisdom true. But to say that we cannot know a person completely is different than to say we cannot know a person at all or that we cannot get to know them better. Toward the end of the year, I find myself drawn to reading my prayer journals. And um, when I read my journals from like 10, 15 years ago, I hang my head in shame. I'm like, whew, did I really pray that? Was that me? Oh, yeah, yep, I even signed it. (laughs) I am so glad God did not answer that one. Wow. (laughs) Wow. But... As I've learned to depend completely on him, to know that I am nothing without him, when I read these journals, it's, it's different. There's a certain steadiness, a certain courage, a certain boldness. When I've learned not to just, you know, jump into praying based on my first reaction to a situation and just 
you know, praying and feeling like God owes me an answer because I yelled at him or because of how much I've prayed. When I've actually stepped back to say, Father, what might you want? What might you be doing in this situation? How might you be moving here? And then praying from that place. Faith. Faith. James is saying to us, guys, guys, you need to grow up. You need to mature in your ability to tell whether God is in the powerful wind or in the earthquake or in the fire. You need to know. Or if he's in the gentle whisper. Elijah's story ends by saying, it was when Elijah heard the gentle whisper that he stepped out, he put his cloak over his head, and he stood before the Lord. Faith, perseverance, and righteousness. We need these things to become effective in our prayers. Now we're going to look at how James says we should respond to situations using prayer. We'll take them one at a time, but not in the order that he presents them. We're going to look at the first question. Are you sick? Are you sick? The word that he uses here means to be weak. And when we look at how this word is used throughout the New Testament, it means to be physically weak. James is talking to us about physical healing. And it's a challenge to hear what he's saying because our experience of praying for people is not that they usually just get up and walk. So the responsible way for us to look at what James says is to look at all that he says to us about physical healing, not just that one thing, and to look at it within the larger context of how God heals our bodies. So I've tried to summarize this in picture form. Let's just walk through it. The first thing is the Bible is clear that God intends to give us new bodies. I could use a new one. I'm just saying, there's some things I would like to upgrade. God presented the risen Christ to us as proof that we can put our hope in that. He will do it. And then God gives us medicine. Science and technology, doctors, all the people who help us live longer, healthier lives. And it's very important that when he heals us through this, that we don't treat it any less gracious than if he heals us miraculously. All good gifts come from above, James has already told us. For the world, that's all there is. If science can't cure it, sorry, you got to wait. Come back in 200 years. But now James comes and he says, 
we can actually go further than that as the body of Christ. We can actually create an atmosphere where healing is more likely to happen, where God could make the medical system more effective, or He could even bring healing miraculously. And this is the responsibility of all of us as the body of Christ. And we do this through the spiritual disciplines of prayer and confession. Confess to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's not just confessing when there is sin, but as a practice that we confess and we pray. Why? How, how could this help? Sophie, sorry. I'm going to quote my wife. She's been studying spiritual disciplines, so I've, I've learned from reading what she's writing. And here are a couple of quotes that stand out to me regarding confession. It's a practice I've had to learn very hard. If, you, if you've never confessed to someone before, it's really hard. Concerning the process of confessing, here's what she says. Learning to confess is part of the spiritual growing up process, like getting a driver's license. As we learn to confess, we progress towards deeper levels of humility, and we become more acquainted. It becomes real to us. The great gift of grace. If you've ever confessed and someone prayed over you, you know this is true. To see a face, this gift becomes real to us. Concerning the person who is praying over someone who has confessed, something is happening too. Even though that person does not have the power to ultimately forgive, but they do have the power to give voice to the words of forgiveness to affirm for our brothers and sisters that their repentance has in fact freed them and to sit with them in their sorrow, holding open space that the Lord longs to fill with grace. Just if we engage our imagination for a minute, imagine a body where people are learning and seeing that Jesus Christ actually has the power to break the sins that have held them captive. And a body where we can stand as priests and pray for our brothers and sisters and actually see them become free. Could that be a place where maybe we might be able to pray in faith that God would do for our bodies what we have seen him do in our souls? I'd say yes. If you were at the Encounters with God, encounters with God um, if you were there, you know there was a bit of that atmosphere going on as well. Excuse me. So, outside of the body, creating this environment where we can pray for each other, and God can use that to bring healing. James also says that there's sometimes where someone could be really, really sick, and he says to that person, call for the elders. Let the elders come. 
and let them pray and let them anoint that person. And if there's a confession, the elders will hear it. He's not saying that all, all sickness is because of sin, but if there's one, it's necessary for the person to confess. And the person will know. We don't have to accuse them. He's also clear, again, that it is prayer that raises the sick person. What is the point of the oil? It is to separate. It's symbolic to say, we are marking this person for God's attention in their bodies. So that long after the prayer is said, God continues to work things to do work in that person's body. We have one more circle and then we're done. So missing from this is what Paul tells us about people who have gifts of healing. James doesn't say anything about it. Those people could be elders or they could be members of the church. The principle is the same. They just have the gift of knowing when God might be moving and praying in faith that people would receive it. God's provision for our bodies. The good news is that in this church, we all can participate in creating an environment where healing is more likely to happen. And we should know that there is no prayer of faith that we pray, no matter whether the person stands up immediately or whether it takes a long time, that is ever pointless. Prayer is powerful and effective. Amen. Are you suffering? Are you afflicted? Are you here and you're in pain? Are you overwhelmed? I was this week. James says, continue in prayer. Continue. We've talked so much about suffering. Last week, Jeremy talked about while we are waiting, the posture that we should assume I would like to add just one more thought to this. Everything about suffering, everything, says God is not good. God is not powerful. There's a formal argument, the problem of, you know, God and the problem of suffering, the problem of evil, the soft, you know, of injustice, pick a, you know, pick a word. It's basically, if God were good, he would not want you to be suffering. And if he were powerful, he would, able to, he would be able to stop it. You're suffering, therefore God is not good. Or he is not powerful, or both. When we pray as the one in the place of suffering, we make a statement about the character of God. We do. Because we're saying, he's good. And no matter what this looks like, he will work this one out for my good. 
as He has promised. We're saying He is powerful. He is powerful when everything in my life is going well, when I have my victories and I'm at the top of the mountain, but yes, He is just as powerful in my heartache and in my pain and in the valleys of my life. It takes nothing away from Him. Amen. We make a statement about the character of God. He's made the statement. Look at the cross. He has said it, but that is still not enough for some people. We get a chance to say it when we pray in suffering. We say it to the world. We say it to the heavens. And sometimes, to be honest, we say it to ourselves because we need to hear it. Are you suffering? Then continue in prayer. My favorite one is coming up. Are you happy? Amen. <laughs> Are you happy? Lift up a song of praise, James says. Lift up a psalm, a prayer in the form of a song. Now, the word happy here is not the opposite of trouble, in case you wanted to know. It's not what happens when everything in your world is perfect. The kids listen. Yeah, never get <laughs> You get the point. I would never be happy if that was the point of it. It's not based on external circumstances. It's based on something coming out from within you. It's the same word that the Bible uses in Acts chapter 27 when, he says, when it says that Paul was sailing to Rome to meet with Caesar. You guys might remember the story. And he was in a ship, and he was caught in a storm. And after three days, the sailors were freaking out. They were throwing stuff overboard. They were, you know, we're going to die. And Paul says... Take courage. Be happy. Why? The angel of the Lord came to me. Oh. And he told me that I will stand before Caesar. And he has given me the life of everyone on this ship. No one will die. Therefore, be happy. Because I have faith in God, was what Paul said. I'll give you an illustration from my own life. About seven years ago, I had lost everything financially. I was worth more in the negative <laughs> than I ever was in the positive. It was a hard time. We had two kids. So Sophie and I put our travel points together. I went to Toronto. I attended a conference to see if I could make some connections. I wasn't having any luck in Vancouver. That didn't work out either. So on my way back, uh, my flight was delayed, landed in Vancouver around 1 AM. I had been planning to take transit, but there was no transit then, so I had to take a taxi. So I said to the guy, I have $53 to my name. I'm going to Forest Grove Drive, which is you know, SFU Mountain, that area. Take me as far as this will get me. 
he got me to production SkyTrain. So, and that was even being generous, actually. Um, so I get out. I'm dragging my suitcase up the hill. I was afraid, because there were bears in the areas and coyotes, and we had heard news, and I was just not in the mood for that. It was like, <laughs> I mean, you're never in the mood <laughs> for, you're never in the mood for that, but I was particularly <laughs> not in the mood for that. It was such a dark period in my life. The night was dark in so many ways. I was down. I was low. I was disappointed. And I'm dragging my suitcase along. And these words just came to me fully formed. I have counted the number of steps that you would take in this place that feels like a pit. And when they are over, I will come to you and I will lift up your head again. The minute I heard it, I started singing. Oh my God, I, was, I couldn't stop it. I was singing. I was dragging my suitcase along Forest Grove Drive and I was praising God, I was singing. And it was incredible. And these cars drove past me. And you could see the drivers like, is that a black guy? Dragging a suitcase up a hill at two in the morning singing? <laughs> oh, yes, it was. <laughs> Except the black part. But oh, yes, it was. <laughs> I was singing my song of ascent. Oh, I was singing. If they had stopped to ask me, what's going on? How could I explain to them what became real for me in that moment? I realized that about 2,000 years before, a young man who was just slightly older than I was at the time, he also faced a hill. In what was the darkest hour in the history of the world, and because he did not turn back, because he did not give up, because he carried that cross up that hill, and he died in my place, and he was raised for my own justification, I could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know it. It didn't matter how broke I was. It didn't matter what my credit was like. It didn't matter how many friends I had lost. Nothing mattered. The only thing that mattered to me in that moment and matters to me now is that God is not finished with me yet. Are you happy? Do you find joy bubbling out of you in the midst of trouble? Then for God's sake, lift up a psalm of praise to the glory of God our Father. Lift up a psalm of praise. So brothers and sisters, if we see anyone walking away from this faith, 
this truth as James has described it to us, this truth that prays, that confesses, that endures, that is not boastful, that is not quick to anger, this truth that endures in suffering and waits for God and draws near to God in humility, please, please let us bring them back. Let us resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. God bless you, Hillside.